As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. What a treat I have for you today, my dear listener. This is also an episode of the Menopause Summit, and this is a very special episode. My guest today is Omashade Bernie Scott, and she is a seventh-generation Black Southern feminist storyteller and social justice advocate. I get nervous, actually, in this moment because it means so much to me to have this conversation, to have women of color represented in every possible way, but particularly in this particular format, which is the Menopause Matters Summit. As the creator and curator of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause which is a multimedia project focused on normalizing menopause and aging through the centering of the stories of Black women, women identified, and gender expansive humans. Black Girl's Guide to Menopause Surviving Menopause curates opportunities for people who are experiencing menopause or will experience menopause in the future to think about and often reimagine their own story and menopause journey as something unique and dynamic and natural deserving of respect and support. We've had lots of other conversations in the Menopause Matters Summit, the Red School with Dr. Gottfried, Dr. Lyon, Dr. Horton, all these conversations that are really looking at menopause as a beautiful transition, as something to be revered, as an experience to be elevated and not as something to be endured. And that is kind of where we begin here. And what I want to read, just the sort of end of your bio, you've collaborated with the Society for Women's Health and Research, Prevention Magazine, Electra. You've partnered with Kindra also to create the Say More conversation and journaling cards, which I must see. (laughs) And the core programs are the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause podcast, which is a guide to the different stages of menopause intergenerational storytelling gatherings, guys, and an annual zine, let's say, called Messages from the Menopausal Multiverse. I love this. You've been featured in numerous outlets, including Oprah Daily, Forbes, Vogue, Prevention, The Washington Post, New York Times. You and the Guide to Surviving Menopause have partnered with The Honeypot Company, Mm -hmm. which is a company that I've used. I love them. For World Menopause Month in October, you've partnered with the Embodied Podcast at the WUNC North Carolina Public Radio for a series of weekly videos using the same more deck. And you reside actually in North Carolina, which is such a beautiful part of this fair country. So just thank you for being here. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for your work. Thank you for everything you're doing. And thank you for inviting me. That was 
the sweetest introduction. It was very heartfelt and warm. I'm really glad to be able to have this conversation with you. I know that you've been having conversations with a lot of different people who have different vantage points and perspectives and even expertise. And so I'm glad to be able to be in community with you all to have our conversation about what we're offering and what we've been learning. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So the idea that menopause is really something to be revered and a transition to be experienced rather than endured is something that I've actually come upon after having most of the conversations for the Menopause Matters Summit already. The way in which you offer that aspect is something that very much interests me for the women of color, particularly black women. How do you teach that aspect of it, that it is something to be uh, really respected? That's a really good question. I think of it less as teaching and more as holding space for kind of reclamation of a narrative or even maybe experiencing a narrative for the very first time. A lot of Black women that I speak to across the diaspora. So we are right now in the process of doing a diasporic tour. So we spent some time in the UK earlier this spring. We're headed to New York in a few weeks. We'll be in Toronto in the fall and Puerto Rico. And what we are holding space for is the reality is that we're not a monolith. Like while we identify as Black, while we ha have African ancestry, our experiences are very, very different depending upon on the places where we were raised, the culture we were raised in, our spiritual or religious backgrounds. But one thing that has been common that cuts across the diaspora is the problematized way in which many Black women, femmes, trans, gender non-binary people are in relationship with their bodies. I think part of that is derived from our history um, globally, whether that is our history connected to the generational experiences we've had sparking from the transatlantic slave trade to our experiences with colonizing, our experiences with Jim Crow. You know, there's so many ways in which we have never been given authority over our body, starting from when we were chattel to ending where we are now and with the dismantling of so many of the protections we have in this country. And so when you look at someone's kind of intersectional identity, you know, I identify, like you said, in my bio, I'm a Black Southern feminist woman storyteller. I'm a mom, I'm a sister, I'm all of these things. And so there are things that afford me some privileges in the ways that I'm able to process and move in the world. And there are things that make me a target where I don't feel safe in my community or safe in the world. And so we don't begin with teaching anything. Where we begin is in a, a place of neutrality for the most part. And that's your own story, right? So that's where we begin. How do we invite people to tell their story? Sometimes it's just to themselves. You know, like with a journaling prompt, support of how to create a journaling practice um, that they can return to and have comfort with, or 
How do we invite folks to be in space with each other to have intergenerational conversations where there's an exchange of story? And sometimes that story resonates where you're like, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. I can't believe you're saying this. You feel like you're inside my head. Or you might hear something that you've not experienced in your own life that is reminding you that who we are as Black folk is so diverse and so broad and so amazing and so dynamic and complicated. And so when we start there, then you can begin to have the conversation around, well, what are the messages that we heard about our bodies and from whom and what have we been told is possible? And so that just leads to a really rich conversation and exchange around bodily autonomy and body sovereignty. And then you just start to talk about the different liminal experiences we have as human beings throughout our lives, menopause being one of those. Right, which is really never talked about. It's really not until this year, 2022-23, that I'm seeing it. And literally yesterday, I saw Oprah is going full court press on helping people with resources for menopause, which is wonderful to see. I'm sure that you were a huge part of that beginning. I hope so. (laughs) I am most definitely certain that that's true. I know that when she sees good work being done, she knows it when she sees it. Mm -hmm. And those are really conscious choices that she makes. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Mm So ending the problematized ways in which women of color, particularly black women, relate to their bodies. This is, I think, something we should put the highlighter pen on. You know, our listener, even if you are not in a black or brown body right now, this relates to you because all of us were in some way raised up in a society that was coming on the heels of wars, enslavement, and None of us really had any clue of the entire picture. We have more of the picture now, but we really weren't taught the full scope of what horrors were happening in the 1800s all the way to now. And we were all raised with these body images that in various decades and times were all unattainable, even in the 50s. You know, when women were super shapely, like, okay, so for somebody who isn't, that's unattainable. And then we go into the 80s with sort of grunge and thinness and heroin chic, and then there's that. And it just continues on. I was just watching a runway show, which I haven't done in so long, just on my interwebs here on my little laptop. And, like, it's still happening. Yeah. There, Isabel Morant, who I love, like, let it go on the record has a black woman who is clearly from some Eastern African country, if I can tell. And she is so, so thin. And I was like, how is anybody going to relate to this? Anyone, especially to show a black woman to black women who could potentially buy this clothing. There's no way they're going to buy this clothing because it's like falling off of her frame that looks like she really hasn't had a full meal in a long time. I'm not bashing Isabel Morant. I love the clothes, but it's still happening is what I'm trying to say. How do we end this? You just taught me something, by the way, very important for my life. I can't believe I didn't really get this until now, almost 54. But the difference between teaching and holding space, inviting, is very important for me. Thank you very, very much. But 
how do we do that? How do we actually welcome these women? This is where I'm asking you, like, what are your practices in the spaces? How do you welcome women to talk about this? Say, oh my God, I can't even relate to anything I'm seeing in the media whatsoever. How do we make space for this, mm. for this healing? Mm-hmm. You know, there are a couple of things that ground our work. One, you know, the reason why it's called the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause is because I'm a Black girl who survived menopause. Um, it is tongue-in-cheek to some degree, but it's also very honest. I'm 56, so I'm only a couple of years older than you, and we're in that same Gen X generational footprint. So the work that we've been doing over the last four years has been tremendously personal for me as a postmenopausal person. I haven't had a menstrual cycle since 2013, and my mother passed away when I was 31. So some of the conversations I definitely assumed that we would have because my mom was a very open person and she was a a registered nurse and she did a lot of work to make sure my younger sister and I understood what was happening with our body. And I think that part of that was because of her educational training as a nurse, but I also think it was because she didn't receive that herself as a young woman or as a girl growing up in Jim Crow, Eastern North Carolina. My mom was born 1930. So she was born during the Great Depression And then was a teenager, a young teenager during World War II and, you know, became a young adult when we were still, you know, suffering under segregation. And her ability to, like, move and be free in the world was not only disrupted or challenged by racism, it was also because she was a woman. And so I think when we try to begin to chart out how are we going to create some space? How are we going to create some space? The first question is, who are we creating space for? That was our very first question. And it's like, I wanted to create space for people who look like me. Might not identify the same way I do, but people who look like me. They do identify as Black, but they may not identify as women, and they may not identify as cis, and they may not identify as straight. There are so many different ways that Folk will come to the space seeking community, seeking information, seeking resource. And so we needed to make sure that we had a very, very intentional, open, grounded space. And I think the easiest thing that we could do was just extend the invitation for someone to tell their full-throated story. So when we first started in 2019, that's what we wanted to do. We're going to invite the people that we had relationship with in that very first year of rolling out programming, we knew would be willing to tell their story and that there was something really potent and powerful about the medicine inherent in their story that could be healing for them to express out loud and also for the listener. And I realized that a lot of people would be attracted to that, but not necessarily have the time or sometimes an interest in listening to a podcast. I love podcasts. I love audio documentaries. I love storytelling. So if you put something on, I will listen to it. I'll listen to it while I'm working, while I'm driving, while I'm cleaning. Like that's my thing, but that's not everybody's thing. So we wanted to try to invite or manifest another way for that conversation or those stories to be held. And that's why we decided to do the intergenerational storytelling And the intentional way that our team is constructed, our team is intergenerational behind the scenes, was also what we wanted to offer 
in community spaces. So we would always co-facilitate or co-moderate the conversation intergenerationally. Those first few conversations we had, we would do that with someone who was a millennial or Gen Z. And then we would create these discussion prompts. And I'm very grateful for the training and the wisdom that was offered to me when I first started doing social justice work around popular education models and around Paula Freire's pedagogy of the oppressed. So it's like, how do you work with generationally, systemically disenfranchised communities to support them in identifying the issues that are most relevant to them that they want to address? You start with story first. It is the lowest hanging fruit. It is not always accessible, though, because people don't intentionally create those spaces. So I got a lot of, of training in how to understand the power of story and the, and the power of narrative. And so we just use some of those tools that are so easily transferable into these community spaces. And we created a series of discussion prompts. And then we said to folk, hey, do you want to talk about love? People are like, yes, of course we want to talk about love. Okay, cool. You want to talk about pleasure? Oh, yeah, we could totally talk about that. You want to talk about rage? Uh-oh, yes. Definitely want to talk about that. How about grief? How about creativity? How about relationship? How about death and dying? How about rebirth? How about body sovereignty? Oh, you want to unpack that because you never heard that before. How about how do you feel at home inside of your body? And have you ever felt at home inside of your body? You want to talk about that? And when we posited in that way, the resounding response was, hell yes, absolutely. Let's do it. And so it was our responsibility as a team to construct these safe, sacred conversation spaces And to be observant and pay attention to what worked, what was challenging, how much time we needed, how we could be very um, generative in the space that we had created. So that way, if the group needed something different, that we could be adaptive in that moment and give the group what they needed. And so we just kept doing it. And then we came to 2020. And like everybody else, we were preparing to do some work in New York and the world came to a screeching halt. <laughs> We're still unpacking all. We of are that, still by the way. There, there's still so much learning, Jeez. and I think that we're going to be learning for generations to come around the before times and the after COVID times. But we took a message from the universe that we would continue to do the podcast, and that we would take the intergenerational conversations online and make them accessible virtually. One of the things that we say to people all the time. When they ask us, how much does it cost to participate in the Black Girls Guide to Surviving Menopause programming? And we say, oh, there is a cost. It is free 99. And they're like, 399? No, free, F R E E dot 99, free 99. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I was like, we do fundraising, we do fee for service, we do speaking engagements, we have a Patreon. So that way we can pay our team. We can pay the creatives that we work with that generally tend to be young, Black, queer creatives. And we do the back work so that way a person who's like just beginning to chart their own menopausal path, 
doesn't have to pay us or buy a subscription or try to navigate behind a paywall to access our information. And I think that one of the class challenges that I'm seeing with the growing menopause landscape is that it is still centering very white, middle-class, cis, hetero experiences. And so if- Which I have also noticed. Yes. And if your identity is outside of that, you might find that challenging. You might think, oh gosh, I don't know if that's speaking to me. If I'm, say for example, young, black, and queer, and poor, or young, black, queer, poor, and formerly incarcerated, or neurodivergent, or differently abled. And so then- where do you find your space? And we have created a base camp on what we call the dark side of the moon, which is, you know, as far as as moon phases are concerned, the dark side of the moon is considered the menopausal phase. That's pretty good. There are so many other reasons why that's so good. So delicious. And we could dark side of the the moon. There's so many reasons why that's good. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. (laughs) And we created a base camp that's like glamping. When I tell you it is gorgeous, it is free. You can have kombucha or wine, depending on what your favor is. You can relax in soft space. You can dance to your heart's content. You can eat delicious food. You can connect, you can create, you can cry, you can heal, whatever you need to do. Come on and hang out with us and it won't cost you anything. What a beautiful way to use the interwebs Mm -hmm. to bring folk together and help them feel seen and valued. Thank you. We're grateful to do this work. It it feels very much like sacred work that we're holding space for. It is. This is an unquestionable fact. I'm touched by this. Thank you, Element, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. We have been personally using Element for well over a year. Element is spelled L-M-N-T. Elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house. Every night before bed, James and I split a packet. Helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link, drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. What do you think is the most important aspect of this work at this moment, you know, middle of 2023, 
what's the most important aspect of what you're doing right now, knowing that this will obviously change? And if I were to ask you this question in six months, it would be a different answer. Mm. I think right now in this moment, I really want to find the connective tissue between all of the conversations that we're having in so many different places with the opportunity to influence like policy change. I think that, you know, you and I are the beneficiaries of the civil rights movement and the women's liberation movement. You know, we came of age in the seventies where people who have been historically disenfranchised for such a long time had access to so many things they had never had access to before could live where they wanted to live, work where they wanted to work, marry who they wanted to marry, make a decision on when and if they wanted to have a child and under what conditions they were going to have that child. There was so much afforded to us in that late 60s to the late 70s period of time. And I find the political landscape that we're in right now quite frightening. It's so important for us to remember that the reason why we in social justice spaces call it movement work, is that it is. That's exactly what it is. You're in a constant motion. You are responding and you're also being proactive. You're responding and you're being proactive. And I think that the menopause landscape that is growing exponentially has an opportunity to influence, I think, federal policy change that would be beneficial for all people who will experience or navigate menopause. And so that's what I'm feeling right now that keeps coming up for me. You know, I tried my best as a retired quote unquote advocate, quote unquote activist organizer to like say, oh well no, we're not gonna our platform is not gonna get involved in that. And it's hard. I I can't unprogram myself from thinking immediately, oh, this would be an amazing policy agenda. This would be an amazing policy campaign. You like you can't like unring a bell. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) so even if I say, oh, no, we're just going to hold space for stories and we're just going to, you know, it's going to be very, very much like from a cultural perspective. You're like, yeah. And I know with certainty that storytelling is a pathway to change. And so I think that right now that's what feels really pregnant in this moment is that there's some opportunities for some deeper policy change work that we could see come online around research, around the expansion of Medicaid and Medicare, around employment. You know, there are so many different places that we get touched as menopausal people in terms of our lives that no one is actually thinking about because we are invisibilized in those spaces. Let's talk about policy change. Mm -hmm. Let's just dream it up for a second. Mm -hmm. Regarding employment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if you could make any old thing happen. Yeah. What would it be? The law goes into effect. Yeah. The first thing that I would want to, let's say if a person walks into their office their first day of work, it would not matter policy change had done its job and can do its job, it would not matter if this person worked in corporate America, if this person worked at McDonald's, if this person was a domestic worker, if this person was an entrepreneur and was a small business owner themselves, if this person worked for a nonprofit, if this person worked at a hospital, if this person worked in philanthropy, it would not matter 
where they work, what industry, what field they worked in, when they walked into that orientation and they sat down with their supervisor and the supervisor was going through that policy and procedures manual, they would see baked into the policies and procedures so many ways that allowed them to show up at work as their fullest human self from the time they could have off of work, from their ability to work remotely, for the supports that they receive inside of their benefits packet that specifically supports menopause. Yeah. It would just be a complete different ball of wax. And that's what I hope will happen. I know that so much of the conversations we're having right now around potential um, employment policy work and advocacy work still tends to focus very much on mid-level career or senior level career menopausal people in corporate America. Right. It's going to be really important for us to draw the connective tissue between that senior level manager who's working in a corporate office to that frontline senior person who's working at Burger King. Jesus. <laughs> We got to do this. <laughs> we, <laughs> this we gotta feels do it. really good. We got to do it. We got to do it. It's really good. And there are folk who are working on that. And, you know, the Society of Women's Health and Research is doing more work again around writing a white paper and putting out a survey to talk about workplace policy. You know, Electra Health is the amazing research on the actuarial mathematic equations of how much money menopausal people spend at the doctor because they'd been misdiagnosed. That's a good place to highlight. Mm -hmm. We can't even fathom that. There's nobody measuring that. Yes. And they just put out a report that just shows like the, the numbers. It's breathtaking. But you and I know from our own personal experiences, I, I definitely, from my own personal experience, that I feel like was very decent. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to be very really decent. Like I have such a great relationship with my primary care physician and my OBGYN. And I still operate inside of a healthcare system that doesn't always meet all of my needs, even when I feel like I have a good relationship. And then for my friends, you know, your sister circle, your girlfriends, your besties, your intimates, who you have these conversations with, and you hear them struggling to have someone believe them. And they're running all these tests and they're kind of feeling like they're being sent on a wild goose chase. And they're like, I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to suffer through it. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard someone say, you know, I'm just going to suffer through it. I'll be fine. Will I'll you? be fine in two years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. And it's not okay. It's not okay. And we can do better. And it's so solvable. That's the thing. Like, yeah. there are dietary lifestyle choices. It's not crazy stuff. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Like, mm -hmm. using your own body weight is fine mm -hmm. if you don't have access to weights. Like, nutrition, mm -hmm. these are pretty simple things. I imagine that you also talk about this, you know, in your gatherings. I love being in a community of folk that continues to grow where people will offer. But these are the things that help me. Right. And that's always with a caveat. These are things that help me and I'll offer them out because they might, you know, pique someone's interest and they might say, oh, you know, I never considered that. For example, when I did have hot flashes, I realized that oftentimes my hot flashes would be activated by two or three different things. One, definitely caffeine. Sugar. Was not my friend. Oof. Mm. 
Caffeine was kicking my butt all over the office. At the time, I was having the worst hot flashes. I was working for a statewide voting rights organization in North Carolina, right on (laughs) the eve of the most despicable voter suppression laws to come through the state in years. So we were so far beyond despicable. There's a word in the dictionary. It was awful. And so we were working so hard. And so I would drink coffee all day long, all day long. And I would have rolling hot flashes all day long. So that was the first thing. The second thing, of course, was stress. Mm-hmm. My cortisol levels were off the chain. This is also at the time when Trayvon Martin was murdered. My oldest son was in college during that time. And he went to college in Washington, D.C., went to Howard University. And I was just stressed around making sure that he was safe. And I remember when George Zimmerman was acquitted, I had a whole panic attack because I tried to reach out to him and I couldn't get him on the phone. And he was like, mom, what's wrong? When I finally got him on the phone, I was like, he was acquitted. Where are you? And he was like, I'm, I'm at home. I'm okay. I'm okay. You hear me? I was like, I hear you. So like your cortisol levels with the, those hormones that help us, you know, in the most ancient parts of our mind, when that amygdala gets activated and releases cortisol and adrenaline. At 3 a.m. <laughs> you already know you're going to have a hot flash. Mm. You're going to have a hot flash. And so to be able to share that kind of introspection with folk to say, this is the thing that I had to realize. I had to realize caffeine was not going to be my friend. So I had to say, bye-bye caffeine. And now tea green teas, decaffeinated teas, hot teas, kombucha, things like that. Those are things that I'm much more attracted to and also support my life, support me being healthy. I also realize that being more consistent with my yoga practice in my house or with other people or in the park or at a studio, like wherever I could access my mat, that was going to help me. strengthening my body, but also my spirit. Like yoga has been this exceptionally beautiful practice for me in my whole body, right? So it's like, I went to a class last week and we ended it with a restorative yoga practice where I felt like I was going to start snoring. In a minute, they're going to be like, oh me. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) I'm actually known to snore during restorative (laughs) postures. I'm very proud of it. Oh, it's so good. And so like, again, that's what I will offer to somebody. Now I recognize again, That might not be possible for someone I'm talking to, but it might be a consideration that they had not been offered before. What are the things that you're eating? How are you moving your body? I'm not going to do something prescriptive. I'm not going to say you should do this, this, or this. I would say, what are the things that you feel like you can control throughout your day? And how do you lean into those places? This is important, our listener. Yeah, whether it is... If you wake up at three o'clock in the morning because you have to be at work at five, how do you give yourself seven minutes to do a body scan as you're still in the bed? And you just say to yourself, okay, self, what part of my body needs a little more extra love today or a little more attention today? And how do I send some good thoughts to that part of my body, whether that's my belly or my feet or my back or my voice? Like, how do I do that? Take some good breaths. And get up and start your day. Don't judge yourself for doing the things that you need to do to survive. And oftentimes, the way that we are positing to people who are trying to figure out 
how to navigate a life transition that is a natural transition for most people feel like, I don't know if I can do that. I can't afford to do that. That doesn't feel accessible to me. Doesn't feel attractive to me. Doesn't feel culturally relevant to me. And so what we do is we provide the mirror for folks to determine for themselves because they have the ability to do that. We're the experts of our own body. It's nice that there isn't a should here at all. That goes along with the very first thing you said. There's no teaching. There's just space. It's an invitation. It's an Mm -hmm. invitation. And I promise you, and you probably have experienced this as well, when you extend an invitation, somebody who's really attracted to that invitation, that it is resonating all the way down into their bone marrow, will say to you, do you know how to do that? And if I say, yeah, I feel like I do okay with that. Will you show me how to do that? Sure, we could do it together. You want to do it with me? I'm not really good at it all the time, but we could totally do it together. Okay, let's try it together. So beautiful. So I don't become this like also otherworldly person. Like you still get to experience my humanity too, you know, and I get to be honest with you and be like, you know, there are days where I feel pretty good at this thing. And there are other days where I'm just like, I have gray pubic hair. Are you kidding me? Oh are my you God. That is, me? that is one of those things that I just. <laughs> Anyway, for another day. <laughs> it's like you have to be real with yourself about being a human being who is getting older. Yes. Who, and it's in an aging body. There is nothing wrong with an aging body. The totally. alternative is I would not be here having this conversation with you. That's right. It's so beautiful. That little process, our listener, if you picked up nothing from this conversation except for that process of opening up a space for someone to ask a question so that you can share an experience of something that you've tried that maybe they haven't yet, instead of telling them what to do, should do this. This is a gift to me. This is a gift to our listener to put words to this uh, very short and very important process of invitation. Can't thank you enough for that. You're welcome. Thank Mm -hmm. you for the invitation to have this conversation with you. Also, thank you for your biopic on (laughs) Black Girl's Guide to SurvivingMenopause.com because, (laughs) my goodness, you're beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm I'm trying to be much more in a place of receiving a compliment like that. So thank you very much. (sighs) (laughs) Our website for our listener Black Girls Guide to Surviving Menopause.com. I would also like to know very specifically where we find the podcast and where we find the Patreon, because that's a place where we can go and really offer the support so that you can continue to have the intergenerational storytelling salons and keep this going. This feels very important. Thank you. Well, you can and listen to the podcast anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. So we're on Apple and Spotify and all those groovy places. And actually, if you go to our website, there is a link that says support us and it takes you straight to our Patreon. So if you're on Patreon, you can just um, do a search for Black Girls Guide to Surviving Menopause and we'll pop up for you. Okay. So Taryn Henry is your web mistress. I'm looking at her she, picture right now. I'm she is our web, web mistress. I'm she out is, of my mind. She is her. our fantastic web mistress. She is always whipping us into shape and helping us think boldly about how people access the work that we do and what is the story that we're offering them when they find their feet at the base of our website. 
I love the way she kind of looks at the, our website as like this portal to understanding us more deeply. And so she's always asking me these great questions. And our team has expanded. The oldest person on our team is 57 and a grandmother, and that's Lee. And mm-hmm. we just added a young genderqueer Black person named Asada, who I've known since they were eight months old, who just graduated from college last year. It is our in-house artist and graphic designer. So we just keep adding to the intergenerational mix. And they, with me, we get to kind of create a vision for what it looks like to do creative, like grounded work. Amazing. And, um, I'm really grateful. I'm actually now becoming a patron. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Waves thank in the you. water. <laughs> That's fun. I'm a wave in the water. Well, Omi means water. So we were thinking about things that are associated with water. <laughs> My lady. I'm super in. That's so amazing. Thank you so Super. much. I'll see it come through That's after we hang awesome. out. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I'm so grateful. I just learned a lot. And I know that my listener, our listener who is paying attention, also just learned a lot. And I feel like this is a conversation that needs to keep being had uh-huh. because this is a concrete way in which white women can literally just reach directly in and support this movement. I don't think there's anything more important than this, because if the women are supported as they get older and wiser, that's right. policy can change. That's right. That is exactly right. It's 150% right. Mm-hmm. We have to do this. It is so critical for who we are and where we are and for the generations that are coming behind us. I it's feel so that. Critical. I yeah. feel that. I can't thank you enough for being here. Omi. Thank you. Omi. Thank you. Omi. I know Um, it it feels like an ohm, doesn't it? Like when, um, whenever we're in yoga class and we do our ohms, my friends who also sometimes call me ohm, they're like, how did you manage to get them to do that? I was like, I don't know. I can't tell you. Like it just, you know, it just happens. No, that was absolutely (laughs) meant to be. I appreciate that. It's, it resonates for sure. It does. I have a little ohm on my wrist. Mm, tattooed um okay i look forward to more from you i will make sure that all of these links including a separate link to the patreon is underneath where my our listener is listening um i can't thank you enough again i really laud you bow to you for the work that you're doing and appreciate the learning that i just gained in being with you here today thank you thank you so much and i hope that the rest of your day is fantastic the same the very same i appreciate it all right Mm. you take care you too my dear bye-bye Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and 
longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.